Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. This is Jared Doe here with Tom Hagedon, and I'm just going to dive right in. Tom, on Sunday we started a teaching series entitled Rooted, What We Believe and Why It Matters. And this series is going to cover basically some essentials of our faith as we, we seek to understand Christ and follow Jesus here in Phoenix. And you started us off uh, with just a great sermon on Sunday, by the way, um, great sermon, exploring this difficult question. And it's a question that humanity's wrestled with for thousands of years. And that question is, who is God? Yeah, and let's start off by just saying thanks for that one. It was a, quite a bit of a softball, just an easy question to answer in 25 minutes. But yeah, of course, yeah, 15 minutes. But yeah. yes, nice, easy question to start the series. <laughs> I do think it is an important question to consider, though, because what we believe about God matters. It shapes how we live, how we interact with others. It's how we even make decisions. So for me, when when approaching this question of who is God, I wanted to set up a framework for what we believe about God. Instead of just giving you information, I wanted it to be formational. Yeah, and I love that distinction. You made that on Sunday as we approach this, that, that this isn't just information, but it's for formation. It's not informational, it's formational. I thought that was great. Yeah, and ultimately it, it matters because it affects the way you view yourself and how you interact with the world. That's where our belief system comes from. Even if we were atheists, we would have a belief system that we operate from. So when God is in our belief system, what we believe about God matters and how we interact with others and how we see ourselves. Yes, and Okay, so much has been said of God, uh, just in Scripture alone. If we just take Scripture, you know, we could explore the different names of God, the attributes of God, stories about God. Um, but there's a couple of themes that really kind of stick out in Scripture that you, you keyed on, considering God as creator, God as father, God as savior, and then God as king. Yeah, and we'll definitely get through that framework, but before we even approach those four characteristics of who God is, I think we need to lay out a few ground rules. Well, naturally, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first one is this. God exists. God exists. That means that God is not just an allegory. God is not just a storybook. Um, and even more so, God's not just a coping mechanism made by mankind to deal with loss. Um, God, God is much more than that. And I would even say, you know, we have to be careful and, and um, we can't make God ambiguous into this power that's the universe. Um, he's not ambiguous. He has shape and form that we see in the narrative of Scripture. Therefore, uh, God is, is a person, not just uh, an ambiguous power. Yeah, so we established the rule that God exists. And then the second rule that you had mentioned is that God is mysterious. And you had opened up with a quote by Skip Moen that I just thought was excellent. So I'd like to read that. And it just talking about the mystery of God. It says that God, God does not come to us in nicely defined, rationally explained thought categories. God does not fit himself into our theological textbooks. And the Hebrew God breaks all the rules. He is near, yet transcendent, clothed in human form, and yet holy, more terrifying than can be imagined, and yet compassionate, invisible, yet revealed, judging, yet merciful, 
sovereign yet humble. And no matter where you look, God breaks the molds. Tom, that's a great quote. Where did you find that quote, by the way? So that is in the Rooted workbook. So our series Rooted is actually following along with our community groups who are taking the Sunday sermon and digging in deeper. And they can actually get that Rooted workbook on Sunday mornings. Oh, yes, yes. There's a devotional that comes along with the sermon series, and you can get it for 15 bucks. So that's a shameless plug. (laughs) And commercial here. Uh, Yeah, so when we look at this idea of the mysterious God, I think Skip does say it really well, um, but scripture also points to it's not just this man-made invention, but we see throughout scripture this revelation of who God is, and even the authors of it point to this happening throughout scripture. And I think one of the best verses that encapsulate this idea of of the mysterious God is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. It says this from, from the author Paul. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. That's kind of like a sit there and go, whoa, kind of scripture to me. Like It, it speaks to this idea that God is mysterious and, and yet being revealed to us and we're involved in it. Great. So God, some of the rules, God exists and yet... In this existence, he's mysterious to us. And then the third rule that you kind of uh, set out is that God is triune. Yeah, I think it's important as we're talking about these different characteristics of God to not lose this theological foundation of the Trinity. That as we talk about God as creator, father, savior, king, evident in all these shapes and forms, we see this Trinitarian God, which is basically this. He eternally exists as three persons, father, Son and Holy Spirit. Yeah, so this is right the the doctrine of the Trinity. Like, and and you know, so speaking of the mystery of God, trying to understand what the Trinity is, I think it was Augustine that said, you know, of the Trinity, try to understand it, and you might lose your mind. But try to deny it, and you might lose your soul, or something like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, the mystery of God. Understanding how the Trinity. Uh, works has been something that we've wrestled with for a long time. So, but just kind of looking at these rules that you established that God exists, he's mysterious, and that he's triune kind of leads us uh, to the four themes. Uh, and I just want to return to those themes, the idea of God as creator, God as father, God as savior, and God as king. And so I was wondering, could you kind of walk us through you know, how did you land on those four themes uh, for your sermon on Sunday? And then can you take us through each one? Yeah, so the the framework that I presented on Sunday uh, came from the narrative of Scripture, from the beginning to the end, but each characteristic, each revelation of God is also apparent throughout Scripture. So it's not just one stage to the next stage, third stage, fourth stage. Although there's major events in Scripture chronologically that reveals each one of these, we can then go back and find each characteristic throughout Scripture. Uh, But not only do we see God as creator, father, savior, king in scripture, I believe this framework exists today, that when we look at our lives, and we'll hit this later, but we can see God as the creator today. We can see God as a father today. A good, good father? (laughs) A good, good father, yeah. God is even, uh, then also savior today, which is probably one of the most prevalent revelations that we see of God today. And then God is king. Uh, All four of these are in our lives here now. So that, that's really where we came from to get that framework. Right, right. So for the creator, 
that God is creator. Let's just start right in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God creates. It's the first thing that we hear about God is that he's a creator. Yeah, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But not only do we see that, that creation story in the very beginning, a lot of the authors point back to that creation and, and even point to God as a creator, not only in the beginning, but throughout um, one of my favorite scriptures is actually in the New Testament speaking of that creation. And it's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 3. The author says these words, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It essentially says God took what was invisible and made it visible. Going back to God is mysterious, there's nothing much more mysterious than how God manufacturer created out of what was invisible to make visible. And then in Colossians 1.16, it basically says almost the same thing, but then the author adds on to it and says it was for him, essentially saying that it wasn't just happenstance, it wasn't just a mistake, it wasn't the equivalent of us microwaving a burrito and eating it because we have nothing better to do. There is great purpose, there is great intention within creation. And as we look at that, we can see that purpose, we can see that intention in everything that's created, the wide spans of everything, from micro to macro, from galaxies to mitochondria. Absolutely everything points to the intention of God's creation. We even hunt to try to find the most micro building block, and we try to hunt for the largest star. You know, our hunt on both spectrums has shown God's expanse and his ability to create. But in the midst of the micro and the midst of the macro, we find humankind. We find mankind here in the midst of the micro and the macro. And it's with great purpose. It's not just a mistake that we stand here in between the two. In fact, Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. The relational God, the triune God who is three in one desires to be in relationship with his creation and he points at us in the middle of the micro and macro and says, you, you will be the one who has this intentionality. Man, that's great. And you start talking about the galaxies. I thought you were going Louis Giglio on us there for a minute. (laughs) No, this idea of that, that if he's creator and we are his creation, I think that's important to understand that, to grasp that, because it adds value to every single human life. So God is creator. Uh, Moving on to the next theme is that God is father. Yeah, and so we see that story from Genesis, the creation story, continue on. And in Genesis 3, we see that this fall happens, and Adam and Eve try to grasp something that wasn't uh, the intentionality of this creation story. And we see this brokenness, and Adam and Eve in creation, therefore, is broken or separated from God. And, and as we're separated from God, the story could end there. As that quote from Skip Moen says, God is transcendent. It means that he's above, he's separated from, he's fine all by himself. So it really could have said Genesis chapter 4, the end. But it continues. There's Genesis 4, there's Genesis 5. And the following books of scripture show us that God decided intentionally not to give up on us. And he pursues us. He pursues his creation and he desires for his creation as a father desires his children. That when a child leaves, that he would pursue that child, that the child would come back and be a part of his family. 
That's shown in the story of Abraham, which is this man that we knew first as Abram becomes Abraham, and out of him starts this multitude of nations beginning with Israel, and God shows up there as a father in being in this role as a provider, as a teacher, as a merciful judge even. He is the one who pursues us as a father to be our provider, be our teacher, be our our merciful judge even. Yeah, and I love that, just this idea that God is the father, and which means that we are his children. Um, Marcy and I, as, as you know, we're about to have our fourth child. And it's so fun to see each one of our children, their own personalities. They, they all reflect like little elements about Marcy and I and their personality and, and even how they look. Hopefully they look more like Marcy than me. <laughs> um, but we get to see almost our own image in them. And I think someone once said, like when you have children, um, it's like your heart jumps out of your body and then starts running around with hands and feet and legs. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we see that with our children. And, and I just think of how unique they are to, to us, how much we love them. And and this is kind of the the like the metaphor that, that we have with God is that we are his children. We reflect who he is and he loves us and he blesses us. And when we look at that covenant with Abraham, he blesses them to be a blessing. And now the work of God is actually taking place through his children here on earth. I think that's, I just think that's a great idea. And one thing I would add on to that is this is not just a geographic family. Like this isn't just Abraham at that time or anyone who's a genetic direct descendant. But, you know, as, as we looked at on Sunday, you know, we are adopted in God's family. And even John chapter one, verse 12 says we're born of God. So it's like our genetic code changes. So those who are, uh, coming to God now are, are becoming a part of that family as well, that God becomes our father. We don't have to meet those qualifications. Yes. And so God is creator, God is father. And then this third thing that you hit on is that God is savior. Yeah. So this idea God is savior, I think we point right away to the cross, but we have to go before that. And we see that when God uh, pursued us in the Old Testament, when he pursued Abraham and, and this nation came from Abraham, God created this marriage-like covenant so that we could be in relationship with him. Basically, the structure or the agreement of the relationship. Um, the, the structure of it, though, pointed that we, in order for us to be with God, we have to be like God who is holy. So if we're not holy, we can't be with God. And I don't know if you know this about humans, but we're pretty bad at that. There's no way that we can ever live up to it. There's no way for us to ever achieve to get to God. It would require us to transcend the brokenness of the world to get to him. That's very difficult. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, that, and I think that's actually also kind of relieving. Like in, the, in scripture, when it talks about how we are all broken, um, what it says is that I'm, I'm, I'm just like you, like both of us are in need of a savior. We mm-hmm. both need help. And I think like, that's when we're able to kind of acknowledge that we're able to say, okay, now I'm, I'm open to being put back together. Yeah. And that's why you need the full story. So we weren't able to do it. And a lot of people hang there and say, shame on us. We're just not good enough. But then we see that when he pursued us through that and saw that we couldn't do it ourselves, God pursued us again. And when we could not become like God, God became like man. And that's the, that's the son of God, completely God, walked the earth as completely man and did what we could not do, living a holy and blameless life and giving himself as a sacrifice. This is why he was put to death. 
Yeah, and you had just a great uh, a great verse you shared that went along with this in Micah seven. What is it? Seven eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does that say? It says, uh, "Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy." Yeah, great, great line. We talk about this. Who is a God like you? Who is God? Someone who who sees the worst things about us and loves us anyway. Who knows us, who knows everything about us and still chooses to love us. Um, When we consider who God is, uh, it's a God who who pardons our sin. who A God who doesn't stay angry, but delights to show in mercy. And sometimes I think we forget that aspect of God. So God is, he's a creator, he's a father, he's our savior. And then the fourth thing that you hit on is that God is king. Yeah, so if we stopped there, God is Father who pursues us, and we see this as a way of God reconnecting us, and we just said, you know, that, that's where the story ends, and we miss the expanse of what the New Testament is, and we miss what God is doing here and now. When Jesus comes to, to pursue us, um, he comes to establish a kingdom, and, and he talks about this throughout the New Testament. Throughout his time on earth, throughout the Gospels, he speaks of this idea of a kingdom that was to come. And this wasn't something that was a new concept to the people who were there. They they were waiting for this king to show up. And I, I think what happened is, is a lot of them were expecting a mighty steed, right? They were expecting a big <laughs> right. white horse and a big sword. Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. So instead of bearing a sword, he bore a cross. Instead of riding in on a horse, we have a guy who rides in on a donkey. This is mystifying. This This kind of breaks the mold of what they were expecting. And so a lot of people didn't understand this idea of this kingdom. And that's what leads us ultimately to the cross is that they thought this was blasphemy, that this man who would ride on a donkey would also claim to be God. And that would lead us, you know, to this this conversation with Pilate that, you know, we don't have to go through the full conversation, but essentially in it, Pilate questions Jesus if he is this king of the Jews. And Jesus asks him, he says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate says, oh, I'm not a part of me. Am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is, is it that you've done? And he, he simply says this in this world. We can end that conversation. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. He's coming from somewhere else and establishing this kingdom in the midst of a Roman empire that is one of the greatest kingdoms of all time. And they're mystified by it. Now that would be an interesting story in itself. And if we look at philosophers throughout history, Jesus might have been up there with them if this was all he was. Because there's all these philosophers who spoke about new ways over old ways. You know, that there is this new way to approach life and, and the old way is gone. Here's the new way to think about it. But where Jesus differs from the other philosophers is that he doesn't just present a new reality or a new way. He defeats the old way. He defeats death itself to bring in this resurrected life. That's completely different than any other philosopher. And that's why we see Jesus as not only a savior, but you also see him as a king because he overcomes the old way and establishes the kingdom of the new way. When Jesus comes back, I'll, I'll end with this on this idea of God, Jesus is, or God is king, Jesus comes back and says, all authority on heaven and earth 
has been given to me. He says that in Matthew 28. When he conquers death, he comes back and says that. So we can take Jesus at his word. Jesus says, I am king. I have authority over heaven and earth. Yeah, and I think this helps us as followers of Jesus because if he's king, it means we are citizens of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're citizens of a, of a certain kind of kingdom uh, here and now, a, a type of, so, which means that we have responsibilities as citizens in this kingdom. Yeah. Um, so yes, these, these four themes um, are, and I think this is where formation happens as we, as we talk about who God is. If God is creator, it means that we are his creation and that we're valued. And if God is Father, it means that we are his children and that we are loved, that we are adopted, that we are uh, provided for. If, if God is Savior, uh, it means that we are his prize, which kind of sounds like a Crowder song, right? Like John Mark McMillan. Or, or John, well, yeah, what, well, one of those guys. <laughs> uh, yes, but this idea that, that he has, he's loved us so much that he's, he's saved us and um, that, that our, our life uh, now has been redeemed. And then, and then that God is king. Uh, it means that we are citizens of his kingdom. So we, we give our allegiance to him. Uh, we, we follow him first and foremost. We put our hope in our great king. And then as citizens, we participate in uh, the responsibility that citizens have in the kingdom. Uh, so we join God in kingdom activity. And so just it, kind of exploring who God is, uh, it's formational because uh, it, it tells us what kind of people that we should be here and now. And so kind of just closing, as we consider who God is, as we consider these themes, there's a couple of questions that we would just love for you to contemplate. Uh, so Tom, can you walk us through what are those questions? Yeah, so the first thing we have to consider, no matter where you're listening to this, if you're driving in your car or you're running on the treadmill, whatever it is that you're doing right now in this moment, ask this question, who do I believe God is this morning or this afternoon or this evening, whatever time it is, who do you believe God is? Is he just an allegory? Is he just a story? Is he a coping mechanism? Is he just a teacher? Or is he the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator and ruler of the universe, who is above all, yet so near, pursuing his creation as their Father and Savior, willing to do whatever it takes to bring them into his kingdom? And then I would ask this, what does that say about who you are? Who do you see yourself as based off of who God is? Is it just a theological statement that you're writing down saying that we are God's creation? Or are you able to say, I am God's creation? Are you saying we're just God's children? Or are you saying, I am a child of God? Are you saying, well, we are God's redemptive prize to the cross that Jesus came to to save us all? Or are you saying that I am God's prize? And finally, are we all citizens of God's kingdom and that's just written down on paper? That's your passport? Or are you saying, I am a citizen of God's kingdom and taking that seriously, taking that responsibility seriously? So two questions. Who do you believe God is? And what does that say about who you are? All right. Thanks so much for listening in as we wrestle with and consider this question, who is God? Uh, Next question that we will look to address is how does God speak to us? I hope that you will listen to that as well. Have a wonderful day.